On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we're downing tools with the Port Talbot miners in The Way on BBC One, standing on the front lines of the COVID pandemic with Joanne Froggett in Breathtaking on ITV, and coming back from orbit with Numi Rapace in Constellation on Apple TV+. And speaking of which, Numi drops by the show a little bit later on to explain what that show's all about. But that's not all. Why, you ask? Because we also spoke to actual Jodie Foster about the final episode of True Detective Night Country. I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast. You're a central guide to every show that matters and a podcast that is very, 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 very excited to have Jodie Foster on this week's show, but also aware that the episode of True Detective, episode six, only dropped today. So there's a very good chance not all of you are entirely up to date. Time may be a flat circle, but viewing schedules are very much not. So mindful of that fact, we will keep all of the True Detective spoiler chat with Jodie to the very, very end of this week's show so you don't end up, you know, getting anything spoiled or stumbling across anything until you're ready. In the meantime, however, I am joined by my very own true detectives, Boyd Hilton and Cara Barrow. How are you both? Good, thank you. How are you, James? I'm good. I'm good. Boyd, do you have the glow of a man who's yeah. just spent a decent amount of time in the company of an acting legend? Of you. Of me? Yes, yeah, that's you right. <laughs> you spent a yeah. large period of time yeah. in my company yeah. and you are glowing. I am a glow. A All yeah. a glow with the joy of sitting. Picture the scene, listeners. <laughs> me on the sofa in a lavish West London place, sitting opposite Jodie Foster Yeah, uh, on a, a nice chair. And in between us was the man, the legend, James Like Dyer. a shit marriage counsellor. Yeah. <laughs> Monitoring the sound levels as his won't. Yeah. Um, to make sure it was all audio, all the audio was okay, basically. And I kind of, um, in, I introduced, I said hello when she arrived into the room, Jodie Foster. I said hello and you know, introduced myself. And I said, this is my co-host and sound engineer or whatever I called you. And so I think she was like, I think she thought James was going to chip in in the middle yeah, of the interview. Yeah, yeah. But she, so she kind of... She started, kept looking at she me. She kept looking at him. So... <laughs> Oh no, yeah. so she just thought you were mute. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Basically, she's, like, she's a he's a terrible interviewer. Yeah. 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 So that was stupid of me. But a great um, listener. I didn't have a mic, obviously, which would have been the largest. No, I thought that was the telling. Yeah. I was not holding a mic. Now yeah. the, the, so we decided not to do a kind of double header because we thought it would end badly. And if you are going to start experimenting with that kind of thing, Jodie Foster's not the person to start no. with. Uh but also, also, sort of when we when we sat down to do this, like I'm as you may know, I'm not a person who finds it easy not to chip in on things and so like every when she was saying stuff I was like <laughs> like I took all of my willpower just to kind of keep Sturm and just you know listen and ask better questions than my <laughs> yeah it's like no. what Boydie meant to say yeah. Jody was yeah. this yeah. now tell us what was she like because we went to the screening last night yes, didn't we yes we did uh, we went. To, there was a screening at BAFTA. So this we couldn't this Thursday at BAFTA last night on the Wednesday. There was a quite a small exclusive screening um, for important people of the finale of True Detective uh, Night Country. And um, Jodie was there with the showrunner and the uh, fellow actress and Issa Lopez and yeah. Kelly Reese. Yeah. Thank you, Kelly, Kelly Reese. Now all their names have got in my head because I actually remember them for the interview. <laughs> um, and then she was sat right in front of us, wasn't she, Kate? Yeah. Jodie Foster was sat right in front of us. I, was, I did make this point. I did. I did. Uh, mentioned that to her at the beginning of the interview, um, and yeah, it was it was fantastic. So we kind of saw her there, and then um, and then fully got, gave got the full twenty minute one to one, two to one interview today. <laughs> but in answer to your question, how was she? She was an absolute one hundred percent delight. She's a pro, mm. and you know, just yeah, could not be happier. And you know, I, 
we were talking about after James and I on the on the journey here. I just wanted to go well, you know, because she's such a hero of mine. Yeah, of course. Um, but you don't. It's not like I didn't. I wouldn't mind if it was okay. Fine. I just wanted it to be, you know, not not bad and not a, not an opportunity missed, if you like. It's mm-hmm. such a huge opportunity to get a chat with. Jamie Boy, Foster. there would never be an opportunity missed with you. No, but you know, you just get some actors who can be a bit, you know, not prickly or just. Oh, you know, from her side of things. Yeah, no, no, from Here her I, side. Yeah, oh no, my no, god, hilariously! No, I was assuming yeah. you were worried about not performing, but no. you weren't worried about your performance. You were worried about hers. I, not, not performance. She's just worried that, the, that that she might be a bit. Yeah, she's not. I just wanted her to be a really, yeah, really nice, really yeah. good, nice, and she was. She did not let us down in any way. No, she? she was. She was great. Yeah. She was lovely. She was very, very friendly. She pretended that all of Boyd's questions were brilliant. Like, yeah. you know, it was, it was, oh, it was great. Yeah. Yeah. She's, that's why she was a pro. Yeah. Do you know what this is? This is Boyd's revenge, you see. So all the times that you do these spoiler specials and yes. you ignore him yes. and you treat him like shit, he's like, he's like, <laughs> hey, wow. hey, you say, you say it's Boyd's revenge. I set this whole thing mm. up. I know. Yeah, and and yes. selfless, self, uh, nay, nay, saintly person that I am. That's, yes, I, that I, is I true. In this case, yeah, I would like to thank James Dyer for everything he's done. Yeah. Producing the Jodie Foster Institute, letting me do the Jodie Foster Institute. It was selfless. <laughs> it was, yeah, no, that's true, yeah. yeah. And thank you now, for thank you to HBO for setting up the interview. Thanks to HBO. <laughs> more, more pertinently. Yeah. To, yeah. And for um, inviting us to the screener. Yeah. Thank you to Premier PR. Um, uh, yeah, no, it was, uh, it was very... Very special. Yeah. Yes. So we're gonna we're gonna the chat with Jody's gonna be at the very end of this episode, and then on the next pilot plus will be our final mm. spoiler special discussion of episode six, where we're gonna get deep into the weeds on the final episode. Although there's a bit of that in this uh, in this interview as well. There is, yeah. Um, so yeah, so basically, you know, what the what we watched um, answer is for all of us. I think is the true detective finale, isn't yeah. it, to some extent. Mm. It is. Which we I've seen it twice now, and without spoiling anything. Did it? Did it stick the landing? Fly the landing? Jump the landing? Roll I, the landing? I think it did all of those. It did all of those yeah. things? The, whatever the landing was, it did it to yep. the landing. Yeah, I, I was delighted by the by the whole thing. Yeah, so because was I. I found it very satisfying. Yeah, it's just satisfying is the word. Yeah, um, yeah, because yeah, we, we yeah we did the proper spoiler chat. Well, can we? I don't now. I'm confused as to what we can and can't say on this podcast. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, I've blurred the lines because you, you see, Boydy time is a flat circle. Yes, and uh, which is a, an explicit line of dialogue in the yes. finale. F- spoiler. <laughs> well, I think that's the least spoiler. I'm not saying who says it. I'm just saying it's a line. Yeah, from the show. Yeah, but we don't want to get into the you know the metaphysics. No, we won't. Of we it. won't get into the metaphysics <laughs> of the finale on this. Not least of all because a lot of people listening to this won't have no. seen it yet. Yes, so we will say people that. People have lives and jobs. We've got to remember yeah, that. Yeah, but I think yeah. if you're a true fan, oh, oh boy, yeah. wow, oh, sorry. screening shaming commitments. They've got you. Know. I know. I'm, I'm part. That's partly a reference of mine to a guy called Chris Sutton. Have you heard of Chris Sutton? He's a football um, pundit. I mean, you know, he thinks he's a football pundit. Others might disagree. He's a, he's a bit of a he's a bit of a bellend. Um, and he did this controversial when Arsenal beat West Ham six 0 He said, and, and a lot of West Ham fans left at half time because they were four 0 down. Mm. Thousands streamed out, I and mean, which is pretty extraordinary. And he said they're not proper fans; they're not real fans because they would have stayed. It's, I'm, I'm basically using that reference to say people would have watched True Detective as soon as they got up at two a.m. and it was broadcast on Sky slash Now. Got it. Yeah. Just giving James a bit more time to to study his script. Right, no, Can you send a text? No, that's not what I'm doing. In okay. this, I was pulling uh, up my. There you excellent. Go. Yes. Yeah. See, oh my gosh. Okay. Wait. I've got what? So he's interrupted proceedings, and you have you done yours yet? No. No. Oh well. Done. I thought you would have done yours Priorities. first. What? What? Posted his picture of. Uh... Yeah, I thought he would have put it straight no, up. No, 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 no. 
Yes, we shamelessly had our picture taken with Jodie Foster. Yeah, yeah. And the three of us together, and then Boyd explicitly requested that <laughs> I, I leave so yeah. that he can yeah. have a picture without me in it. Yeah, uh-huh. I did. I, otherwise, as you yourself said at the time, it was like, that, that will crop you out. No, which would have I, been, I, I, that would have been... That, <laughs> <laughs> that would have been, you know, that would have been offensive. Bad. Well, yeah. I mean, I just was tempted to crop you out of my uh, my Instagram picture, but I decided not to, boy. Well, because I, that's again, just, that's just you're just you know, you're you're just being a mensch. I am, I am. <laughs> today. I've yeah. often said the same. Bro- broken the habit of a lifetime. Anyway, I think why why is also this is a huge day for James because he's all aglow as well because he's going to the June, June. premiere tonight, which oh, is like that's your equivalent of New Year's. Eve, Christmas Day, interviewing Jodie Foster all yeah. wrapped into one, isn't it's it? It's been really? quite the day for me. Yeah. So I got to meet Jodie Foster and I'm going to the Dune premiere, yeah. which is pretty exciting. Yeah, that is. That's a lot. Well, I got to see Jodie Foster yesterday. I didn't get to meet her personally, no. but obviously was within, I mean, a few cent- centimetres of her, yeah. yeah. And you also, I was, when I got scared at one point, <laughs> when I, I... You grabbed her hand. Yeah. No, but I did make... I was It made a noise, and mm. I had to grab Boyd because I thought, oh my God, like, can you imagine my screaming oh, yeah. in her ear? Yeah, when the, when the finale was playing. Because yeah. wasn't she sitting directly behind yes. you? Yes. In, in front, front of us. In front, front, in front of you. At front. one point, I think okay. I kicked her seat. because she <laughs> Don't was, do that. I know, it did do intentionally. No. Um, but yeah. And then we and had it, to kind of walk right afterwards in the... in the There were drinks afterwards, and she was with the gang from the show. And we were literally at our foot all the way there as well, and had to squeeze... Past her, you know, she could have said hello to her at that point if you wanted to. Yeah, that's by true. The way. Yesterday was a d- uh, double day of Mel B up the shard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah uh, that's not a euphemism. Nice. <laughs> and um, and Jodie, so it was a good day as well for me. And I had the Bridgerton. Um, yeah, event. Oh, here we go. No, when no. I ever I mentioned this, this is this <laughs> is. I mean, now this is kind of. Partly what we're watching, partly watching James doing social media. Um, <laughs> he just has to upload that picture. Yeah, I do, enough, before though. Boyd does. Fair enough. It's absolutely true. Absolutely right, yeah. Um, this is how... Com- I, I like that the listeners are getting insight into yeah. how competitive yeah. you two are. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I went to this Bridgerton. I've been to, uh, this Bridgerton um, event, it was not a launch. It wasn't a screening. It was a... Basically, it was like an extended Q&A panel um, with the stars and creators of Bridgerton at the Claridge's Hotel. And I was... I was invited... K to draw back the veil was not. And every time I mentioned literally the word Bridgerton this week, K has had an expression on her face of what can only be described as fury mixed with disgust. <laughs> the is the thing is, it is fair. And I'm I'm trying to rate it in. It's today you have mentioned it a lot of times to me. And yesterday, I have to say, you you've gone. You asked me about it, to be fair. No, but yesterday when you kept on bringing it up, the the reason why, listeners, is because I really like Bridgerton as does Boyd um, but I really like Shonda and her writing and like currently listening to her uh, audio book even did her script writing like little uh, masterclass so when there was an opportunity to be in the same room as her I just wanted to go to the q and I wasn't even fussed about the um, the fancy tea but I get why Boyd was invited so that's fine <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I feel bad. No, I don't do feel bad. bad. Do you, was though, it good? Do you yeah, feel bad? I do. No, I do feel bad. It was interesting. Yeah, they, it was. It was weird. This is happening more and more that they have what normally would be a screening mm. and a Q and A, and then but they get cut out the screening bit element of it. Apple did it a couple of nights ago as well for their new Dick Turpin based comedy show. They had like a oh, press Fielding. conference. Yeah, with Noel Fielding, but not an actual screening of the show. So stand is, but not deliver. <laughs> exactly, and it's fine by me. I don't mind because like we get to see the stuff in advance anyway, usually, and we certainly did with those but the Bridgerton thing was more of a kind of like trumpeting you know season three is on its way soon and you know they showed like 90 seconds a mm. 90 second clip um, and the cast were there and they? the cast were there all the main cast were there okay. Nicola Coughlin brilliant 
Um, she, she's the focus. Obviously, her character's the focus of season three. She Penelope. Penelope, indeed. So it was interesting, and Shonda was there in person, because they did this a couple of years ago, for, or even maybe last year, for the spin-off show, yeah. Queen Charlotte, and Shonda Rhimes was only on video. She And it was a bit weird, because like, everyone was looking at her on video, like seeing it, but she was there in person, actually, on the stage um, at Claridge's. So, yeah, it was it was interesting. She, she's obviously brilliant, and it was interesting, and I'm sorry that I went. No. Yeah. Delighted for you. But Jane, you're not really a Bridgerton fan, are you? You see, I've actually... Uh, you, you, it's absolutely fair to say that you are No, you're, more... you like it as I've well. I've watched every yeah, episode yeah. of Bridgerton. I do like it, yeah. yeah I'm a fan of the show. Was, and the one thing I will say that was interesting, the one, I thought, key line of from the post-Q&A, and I can't remember who said it, one of the guys in the show said, um, one of the actors, was asked about, you know, how um, how sexy this season is. Because mm-hmm. for me, one of the fascination fascinating parts of Bridgerton was that the first series was very famous for being all out nudity. You both liked the sexy first season, didn't Lots you? I never fa- saw the sexy first season. season. Yeah. There was a lot of romping in season <laughs> one. There was less romping in season two and I think that, and for me, that was, I thought that was interesting. Uh, according to this actor who said there's, it gets very steamy all round this season. Mm. So... Yeah, look, I think I think they know that part part of the appeal of the show is the is the is the um, sexiness. James, get ready to swoon. I'm feeling fairly swoonsome <laughs> just just hearing you talk about it. Of course. Uh, right. So we've seen True Detective. Some of us have seen some of Bridgerton. Yeah. Uh, have we watched anything else that you'd like to share? One more thing I was going to share is um, which is a show that came out of nowhere. I just started watching it live on television on BBC Two last week. Is it's a documentary series called The Space Shuttle That Fell to Earth. Hmm. And it's about the space shuttle disaster um, uh, back in the day, and it is an absolutely riveting um, series. It's three parts. Um, you said it's, all, it's BBC. It's BBC. What BBC Two? It's. Just, <laughs> let me just check what day it goes. I think I saw it. It's on Tuesday or something. Monday or Tuesday. Monday. It's on Monday night. So the last one will air today as this as this goes out. But it's all an iPlayer, obviously. Um, and they interview like the NASA engineers who worked on it at the time. You know, um, it, it's just fascinating, um, and it's 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 literally every single moment of it feels like revelatory. It's that kind of documentary where you're like, oh, because I remember at the time how awful it was, the whole thing. Um, but this is a proper like we're going to go into forensic detail, but not but in a very accessible way, and it's and it's really kind of emotional and um, fascinating, and yeah, it's 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 really good. You've too. had a real space theme viewing week. Yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah, I didn't think of that. Uh, absolutely true. Yeah, God, yeah. Total, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll on the shows we'll be reviewing later. Yeah, it's very much topical when it comes to the space shuttle that fell to Earth, BBC Two, Monday. Well, I also have been watching uh, a documentary. Oh. Um, Ryland Homophobia, Football oh, and yeah. Me mm. on Discovery+. Plus. And it's weird because you've already brought up West Ham and he's a, a Hammers fan. Mm. And yeah, it was... It was really, really good. I mean, I like Ryland. You know, I think he's hugely entertaining. We all like Ryland. Of course. I mean, especially James. I mean, number one fan. Don't know who that is. But what I would say is like this, I mean, he's great doing this kind of thing, the more serious stuff, because he feels really passionate about it. So he's a West Ham fan. And this is sort of an eye-opening documentary about the fact that he, you know, how much homophobia exists in the world of football um, that he himself has experienced, but also just the widespread issues affecting the fans and the players, etc. He talks to key people. Um, and as he says, he, you know, he shouldn't have to make a documentary like this in 2024. But um, he, you know, he has done it because it is necessary. So, yeah, found it very interesting. Discovery Plus. Yeah, I need to watch that. Um, I meant to watch it and I forgot, I haven't got around to watching it, but I need to watch it, yeah. It's got Rio Ferdinand on it. 
I've heard of him. Yeah, yeah. Not, not a massive plus point for me, but there you go. Yeah, I, I don't mind Maria. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, also watched uh, another episode of One Day. I've had a busy week, so I haven't been able to watch too much, but I watched, I'm on episode five now, which was a emotionally intense episode. Oh, that's the episode that I'm on also. Have you finished it? I have not started it. Oh, I've finished James. four. I have, not re- I have not rejoined One Day because mm. I haven't had One Day free, <laughs> so I've not been able to. It's, a, it's an intense one because it's about... Um, Dexter going to see his mum and his dad, and it's all about their relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember, yeah. It re- yeah, it was a, a difficult watch, but good. So I I feel like if I were to tell you what I watched this week, you'd be annoyed with me. That's right. Go I mean, we're You're in a safe space. You're I mean, in a safe fair. space. Okay. So I watched uh, three episodes of The West Wing, including uh, Game On and Election Night, which <sighs> is very exciting. So we're coming to the end of the, uh, well, the Sam Seabon period. You know, Will Bailey turned up. It was all very mm-hmm. exciting. We're not coming to the end of it. You're coming. I'm coming to the end of it. Yes, <laughs> it's mad rewatch. Um, I've also been watching some of Buffy season two, oh. specifically the one where Xander casts a, uh, a love spell on Cordelia and it backfires and all the women in the school find him irresistible. I found that show very relatable. Uh, and, uh, and I watched some Friends episodes in including the one with Joey's second brain, which is the one with actual Susan Sarandon in it, playing Ooh. his Days of Our Lives co-star, who is going to be killed off and her brain is going to be implanted into the body of Dr. Drake Ramore, who's recovering from a coma. So Joey gets to play Susan Sarandon. I Neither re- of you remember this, no, but no, trust no, me, I'm, it is a thing. I remember, do remember Susan Sarandon being in it. I don't remember the de- I don't think I've ever watched that episode. No, well, there you go. Was I did. It good? Yeah, it was good. It was good. I made me still watch along with James. Yeah. <laughs> no. 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 Oh. Joy. Right. Anyway, so that's what I've been watching. Nothing. You're really new. comforting yourself with all I your know, favorites. I know. I know. That says a lot. And there's no <laughs> excuse for it because I'm behind on so many mm. things. Not least of all, one day, and it's just you know, it's it's a lot. Yeah. But uh, but we'll get into like I I, th- I felt like after having watched one of the shows we're going to uh, be reviewing a little bit later on, I felt like my brain needed something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To it's, deal a, with. it's a bit of a trauma. Week. Yeah. So I, I uh, kind of felt like it, yeah, this week has been a lot. So I kind <laughs> of thought I just yeah. need something calming so mm. that's why I went back to my your uh, comfort blankets yeah my mm. comfort blanket shows mm. uh, speaking of comfort blanket shows or let's be honest not at all it's time for the listener question Postmistress K do we have a listener question uh, we forewarned of a listener question no you were oh thank god for that at least I didn't miss it I thought no, I thought for a minute I'd missed it no Kay's, Kay's pulling a fast one she's going to surprise us like, as, as used to be my uh, yes that was your I know, and I should have given you some pre-warning. It's just that I've been a little disorganised this week. Um, Scott asks, um, what is the most frustrating cliffhanger a show has ever been cancelled on? Oof. Yeah. I must admit, the thing that I was, I can remember being most furious about was the Farscape season finale. (laughs) Of course. So it was the final episode of Farscape after which the show had been cancelled. And even knowing that they were cancelled, they decided to finish it on a cliffhanger with a kind of to be continued. To be continued? (laughs) And I was absolutely aghast. I was agape. I was just... Devastated by the whole thing. As it happens, <laughs> they um they did get to continue it because they got two kind of like TV movies, the Peacekeeper Wars parts one and two. So they did get to continue it. But there was a while where I thought, that's it, that's it. We're not gonna get anything else. What the fuck? I was very upset. So that's my What answer. about you, boy? Don't. Oh god, what I don't, oh, this is this takes too much research, this question. A so, cliffhanger, something's being cancelled on. Yeah. I mean, surely 
Boy, I can't believe you oh. even have to. Oh my ask. god! I mean, I can't so, believe you even have I to. Know, think. It's so obvious. It's, it's, I mean, for all this, <laughs> it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's clearly Seinfeld. <laughs> Good one, James. <laughs> or Curb or Frasier. No, it's the other one. It is. It is the OA. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Yeah, we never oh, got I mean, to find out what happened no, to actual Jason no. Isaacs in the OA. Yeah, and I did ask. Brit Marling about this one I interviewed for um, a mode at the end of the world and she kind of promised that one day we'll know I think that's what she but she said. wouldn't if, tell you off mic no, or <laughs> if nothing else she'll just send you an email hopefully late yeah, night yeah just yeah, <laughs> yeah well, it's definitely high, oh, on, high, high, high on her priorities <laughs> no I think I asked her whether the whole story will eventually be told in one in some way shape or form and she said I think so I hope so blah 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 there was that kind of thing so mm. that's hope that we'll find out what the fuck was going on in that final scene. Yeah, but yeah, I, that is of course the answer. Because we did do that that spoiler interview, didn't we? We did. And like, right, yeah. but but it was so I can't even remember what they said. It's like it is the maddest ending of anything ever. Yeah. Well, I think at that time, even though the show had been cancelled, right by by Netflix, had it been had it, had it been cancelled when they did that episode? I'm not sure. No, that I don't, it actually, I don't think it no, had. no, it, no. It hadn't been renewed yet. Hadn't no. been renewed. So I guess yeah, they, so were, they, they were they were waiting. And, and I was the we were all like, on the walls. Yeah, we were all like, oh, of course it will. Of course it will be. And they were like, I don't know. Actually, yeah. Um, oh yeah, God, yeah, hundred percent. That's the answer to the question, Kay. What's your answer to the question? <laughs> well, you said it. Hey, you yeah. picked it. Go on, Kay. You owe us one answer. She's shaking her head. She's refusing oh, to answer. Yeah. So, just to be clear, you chose the question but did not prepare an answer for I'm your own be question. Totally honest, I had to pluck this question from the post bag on the tube because I'd. I'd um, so you're saying you triaged it in some fashion? This I'm. Um, this week has been a triage question, so I can only apologise for that. Um, but I think you're answers enough for all of us. Oh, I see. <laughs> yeah. I see. They're two oh, very good answers. No, because also then, the thing is, I was thinking about it and I don't actually, not a lot of the shows that I watch have been cancelled mm. because if they're going to be, if they've been cancelled, I don't go back and start them because what's the point? The only ones that I have watched that have been cancelled which were disappointing were the comeback but it didn't end on a cliffhanger. No. I'm thinking of like my so-called life which mm. But it wasn't a cliffhanger famously, again. Famously. Was it not? I can't remember what happened in the final so. episode. I mean famously got cancelled but yeah, I, don't, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, no. I don't know how it ended. No. I can't remember. I've never seen my so-called life. I've really? Never oh, it was it. great. It was so good. Well by the time I was going You'd to love watch it. it. Yeah I know yeah. but I know like I knew it was cancelled before mm. I came to watch it and so right. I never wanted to start it because it no. never finishes. Maybe so. park Buffy and get into my so-called life. you know, life. This, is, this is maybe something we could get into on Pilot Plus. Get, yeah, yeah. Dig into yeah, uh, yeah, my so-called life. That could yeah. be a thing that we get like yeah, a, from, that. The, oh a from the vault episode. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Jordan Catalano. Bring it on. Yeah. Before he entered his... Before you know, he went bonkers. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. Uh, not to put too fine a point on it. Okay, <laughs> great. Well, that was a relatively quick listener question which is good because we've got two guests this week. I'm not throwing shade. That's helpful. James has got to see June. Yeah, I've got a premiere to go to. What can I say? Timothy Chalamet and Zendaya, you know, they're waiting for me. I don't know what to tell you. Anyway, anyway, that was a listener question. If you would like your question addressed either here or on Pilot Plus, do send them to us on the socials to at Ribeiro on Twitter or to at Pilot TV Pod on Twitter or Instagram. Or go on to the subreddit Pilot TV pod subreddit and uh, and leave it there. Shall we move on to this week's first guest? Now, Numi Rapaz, as we have already alluded to, stars in Apple's Constellation uh, as an astronaut who is evacuated from the International Space Station after a disaster, uh, one that leaves a crew member dead. However, upon returning to terra firma, she discovers that not everything is exactly as she left it. Now, we sent Amon Warman along to try and establish some Numi rapport with Numi Rapaz. <laughs> We are delighted to be joined on the Pilot TV podcast by the star of Constellation, Nimura Pass. How are you? I'm so good. Thank you for having me. 
absolutely. I am really, really enjoying this show. I've got one episode left to watch. Before we begin properly, I feel compelled to say, because we're doing this interview via Zoom, and because there's a scene in the show where someone does an interview via Zoom, but without any trousers on, I have trousers on. I'm wearing trousers. I was going to be too much to that. So I just want to say that on the record. There you go. <laughs> okay, I'm wearing trousers too. I was in a robe basically five minutes ago, but now I'm dressed. <laughs> awesome. Uh, but yeah, yeah I, I'm really liking the show. I think it's a really cool mix of sci-fi stuff and also grounded family stuff. For you, was it the sci-fi or the grounded family or the mixture of both that most attracted you to taking this on? Um, totally the mixture of both, I would say. But, you know, Joe's journey is was just so intriguing and so just caught me and, like, pulled me in, you know, just the fact that she's an astronaut and I have so much respect for astronauts because they train so hard, they prepare, it's like, you know, they, they, it's, it's this whole, like they're athletes, you know, and how they train their minds, how they prepare for the mission. And then they go up there and it's so, I mean, they leave their families. Their dream must be so strong to, to kind of go and explore and to, um, to find maybe nuances or whatever the, the internal question is for each astronaut, I guess it's different, but to be a mother and do that and then get stuck up there and then you know kind of not knowing if you will be able to get yourself down back to your child um and then manage to do that and coming back and then everything is just a little bit different it's kind of my worst nightmare and i think the core the heartbeat in the show is really joe's relationship to her daughter alice so that was kind of, I mean, because I've been offered a lot of sci-fi and, you know, psychological thrillers, but it hasn't had that authentic relationship um, kind of as a spine throughout the whole film or series. And this was really kind of what got me and I can relate to it. And I, and I, and I have so much love for Joe's, for Joe's fight to reunite with her baby. I was reading an interview with you where you said that each project you take on represents a chapter in your life. What chapter does this represent? From, from what you're saying, it's very much uh, about motherhood for you, the same way it is for you. I mean, I think this show really points like the attention back. I started thinking about my choices in like me as a mother, you know, I love my work so much. I love acting. I love films. Films are my oxygen. I like, I die and I live for my films, but I love my son so much. And that conflict, I mean, I can't see a kind of bigger challenge than being an astronaut and going up in space. It's just the most extreme version of what I'm doing. Me going and shooting a movie in, let's say, in the US or in 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 Serbia or Iceland, and my son is in London, um, that detachment, that kind of saying goodbye, and, you know, I'm doing this for me because I need it, I love it. But then coming back and not knowing what have changed, because we all change. We change constantly. And I think like that question of like, how much is my own dream worth compared to what I lose with my child? And do I lose something? And can you repair, you know, the lost time that you didn't have? So I guess like I started reflecting on myself a lot and like, who am I? Who is this woman? Like, if I would look at myself, 
um, if I could just zoom out and look at this Nomi who walks around, she walks around in the world, like how does she treat her friends? Like, you know, how is she like, what kind of mother is she? What kind of partner is she? I guess that's the main question that kind of came up and that I wanted to answer to myself while I was shooting this. There's so much going on in this show. And at times it won't fit with me because there's questions you ask in terms of where you are and also when you are. So this question is two-pronged. One, did you shoot this chronologically? And two, how did you keep it all straight, assuming that, because normally I know that they film out a sequence and there's so much going on with your character, especially. How did you go about keeping it all straight, even if they shot it chronologically? They didn't. We didn't. Yeah. <laughs> That's insane to me. I mean, because just... Yeah, it was, it was extremely intense. We did start in space, though. So the two first episodes, um, Joe um, is trapped up in the ISS. And they recreated an exact like copy of the ISS. So the dimensions, we did not have a big kind of like airy space to shoot in which they kind of would do in a big production you know they would kind of do you know so you can so you can have more room and cameras and the whole team in there that was not the case here because they really wanted to recreate the claustrophobic environment of being trapped in something so we really had to work with all different techniques for the floating you know I was on wires and there's like you know probably a team of 10 people that helps me like the floating was probably the hardest thing one of the hardest physical things i've done because you need to be extremely you have to have extreme body control you need to have a very strong core and be graceful and light and like but you're also depending on other people's expertise so it's really like teamwork to make the floating work but um so we shot the two first episodes fairly chronological and then i came back to earth and then, to be honest, it was a bit all over the place. And it was really a mindfuck sometimes. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? I like, I had to go to my directors. It's like, okay, so I came from that and that just happened. But what am I watching? What, what is going on now? So it was totally, but, you know, it kind of worked in my favor because Joe is not entirely sure what's going on anyway. So I could really just use the confusion and just the paranoia that it creates of like, am I the only one seeing this? Or like, you know, so I really tried to use everything I felt and just put it in there. Without sort of getting into spoilers, I wanted to ask you about working with the twins, Rosie and Davina Coleman, because um, you're forging connections with both of them. How did you go about doing that? And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing you could do a better job of telling them apart than yeah. your, your account. <laughs> I can, I can actually. Um, they are quite different. Like they're two very strong, independent young women. I mean, they're like, they're kind of, I think they're 13 now, if I, if I don't mistake or 12 13 but they are so mature so I kind of forgot that they were kids you know it didn't feel like I worked with kids before and you need to trick them you need to kind of manipulate them a little bit or shock them and kind of keep them awake and alert and to just make every take kind of be authentic but not once did I have to do that it was really like a beautiful collaboration between the three of us and we had to because of the child like the hours that a, a child can work 
under like British law, we had to switch sometimes in the middle of a scene. So I would work and shoot the first part of a scene with Damina and then Rosie would come in and do the second part or like, you know, we could change the camera to a different angle and then there's another actress. So, I mean, the three of us really, it was, it, you know, we always kind of went aside, just me and whoever I was working with and we went through it ourselves and I said, it's really important that you feel comfortable and like, let's run it, just rehearse it, just you and me. So they really felt like, you know, we are building it together. And the scenes when Joe is kind of more panicking and kind of shouting or, you know, I kind of did, you know, I'm going to raise my voice. I'm going to be up here now and speak to you. But, you know, don't be scared. So we really, it was very, a very um, respectful, fun and hard journey we went on and I really got close to them both in a way that's unique you know and I have they are incredible really yeah Yeah, completely agree with that they're they're fantastic it's interesting with a a project like this because if you're doing a film about basketball and you're an actor it'll probably be a good thing for you to know how to play basketball here you're you're a space woman you're doing a thing and as you sort of mentioned got time respect for them rightfully so because they put in so much training What's the difference for you as an actor between a skill that you feel you need to learn for a role and one you feel more comfortable just acting out? Wow. Um, I mean, I feel like it kind of helps me. The physical preparation makes it really kind of, it's something that you can hold on to. Uh, It's something that you, you know, it creates um, sort of like routines and forces me into discipline. Um, And I love that, you know, I love kind of setting up rules for myself and like, okay, this is the daily work. So I work with an amazing, um, you know, a woman, Lenita, who is, who's, who's by my side from early mornings to the end of the day. And, you know, we have this, we are like one body, almost how we work. Like I'm up at, you know, 4am going to the gym, you know, coming back to the hotel room or the Airbnb, you know, she's ready with a big ice bowl. And, you know, I have all my tools, I massage my body, I get my body ready for whatever I need to do during that day. And I stretch, I walk up and then we shoot all day or we rehearse all day for the wire work was quite a lot of rehearsals and then in the end of the day it's the d-rig and kind of you know closing up and like closing the day and prepping for next day and it really is sort of I kind of treat myself like an athlete you know I'm on a hard you know schedule for food for training, for treatments, because otherwise you end up getting hurt and then you can't film or you get sick or you won't last. So it really is like, you know, I kind of worked out a method that really works for me. So when it is a physical skill that I need to learn, it kind of just gives you sort of like a roadmap for what you need to do. And like you have the dates when you start shooting and then you need to be 100%. I don't want to come ever and say like, oh, I can't do that. And it can go from, you know, if I need to shoot certain guns, or if I need to ride a horse or ride a motorcycle or drive a specific kind of car vehicle. Like if I shot like when I shot like an old kind of period film with the old cars, it's a complete different technique of driving. Then I need to be comfortable enough and free enough so I can so I don't need to think about it. So I can act the scene and not be like, hey, where's the gear stick here? You know, so I, I kind of like that. But, you know, 
you can't get lost in the physical preparation because then you won't have your emotional foundation in place. So it is really like, it's like yin and yang. They are tied together and they will serve each other. As an astronaut, there's a lot of jargon uh, that I guess you had to learn for this role. How much of that gobbledygook can you still retain and recite? Or does it just immediately leave the brain as soon as you're done? No, I did. Um, I did my research, and I um, we had Scott Kelly, who is an American astronaut. He was on set. He was there before checking everything, being like you know our kind of critical eyes to make it really feel and look as authentic as possible. Because that was really our goal. It's not like we don't have no superpowers. I'm a human with just my human capability of kind of surviving and using my brain, that's my tool. And I think that's really significant for astronauts that they are so trained to stay calm under critical circumstances and not get carried away by emotions. Um, And I spoke to two other astronauts as well. Um, a, f- a female astronaut and, and Krista Fuglesang, who was the first Swede who was up in space. Um, and really what kind of stuck with me and that I really kind of, that I'm still thinking about because I'm emotional, you know, I get carried away and I'm like, ah, I get like, you know, and, and now I'm like, no, I mean, I remember how they deal with a problem, how they attack a problem and how they, you know, look at the evidence, look at what you have in front of you. This is my toolbox to solve this problem. And if I get emotional, I will lose track of what I need to do and I will do a worse job. So I really had to train my um, my mind to become more patient, to to stay calm, because it was also I was trapped up on those wires for quite some time, and I want things to go fast. I I want quick resource. I want let's move on, and now it's like patience, patience, patience. Astronauts, I think, in part because of their training, in part because of what they're asked to do, they very much push themselves to the limit. And my question was going to be, what's been the project that's pushed you the most? But from what you're telling me, sounds like this one, this one. It really did, yeah. But in a quite subtle way, you know, because I've done things that are way more extreme. You know, I didn't, I didn't die and like kind of, you know, when I did What Happened to Monday, um, this movie where I play like Seven Sisters, you know, I, five out of seven dies. And I was like, you know, I was reacting to my own death and I was being shot. I was surviving. I was fighting. I got hurt. And other films like kind of been more explosive in the emotions. This one is so real in the emotions. So it kind of got to me in a different way. And I would really say, because it really kind of was creeping upon me. And it's also, you know, it is about like losing connection with the rest of the world. And everyone else is saying one thing and you're like, am I like, have I lost my mind? Is something wrong with me? Are they all right? Or is it me that are wrong? Like in that like subtlety and like the, the brilliance of Peter Harness writing really kind of, it made it feel so real. And I was like slowly drifting like into this kind of open ocean of like uncertainty where it's like, and also what is true? What is truth? Like, I mean, if you and me would have an argument and we would remember, we are like, I would say like, you said this and you did this to me. And you're like, no, I didn't. And I was like, yes, you did. I was like, yeah, but it felt like this. You're like, who's right in that situation? And I feel like it's so, it's so many layers and it's so like the drama in this is so complex and so 
smart it kind of just like it's sort of like Alice in Wonderland kind of going into a rabbit hole and it's like okay there's just an endless it's like an endless kind of tunnel of possibilities here mention the word extreme there anytime I'm when I, when I was prepping for this interview the one of the first things that came to mind that, that I remember and just in my brain forever is your abortion scene in Prometheus um and that, I mean, extreme is the word. I'm just wondering, what are your memories of filming that? What, what direction was Ridley giving you? And how did you prepare yourself for that scene? Because that is one of the most extreme things I've seen. Yeah. I mean, I was practicing my, like, tummy muscles to be able to do, those, like, you know, to do this weird, like, movement. <laughs> and, um, I mean, it, that scene was really one of the scenes that kind of stays. Some scene stays in you somehow. It kind of becomes a part of your physical memory bank. Like, I feel like I have a library inside of different things that are stored. And I dreamt that I was pregnant with really weird things. You know, I was just like, I woke up so many times like, oh, and I thought I was like carrying like weird, like kittens, like furry stuff and like something that was going to eat me from the inside. And like that scene was so, because it, I mean, there's a bit of CGI, obviously. And like, you know, they didn't post, they did, they did the last, the finish of it, but it was really like me just like being there in agony and in like it, it would to the certain, to, to, the degree we could, we kind of made it in real. Um, and, and Ridley kind of really kind of wants it to feel as raw and, I still have, I can still have nightmares. I had this like, you know, that I have the, the one occurring dream that I had is like that I wake up and I have a big scar on my tummy and I was like, wait, what? Last couple of questions for you. I know that you like to not only create a playlist for your characters, but also give them their own scent. Uh, what was that for Joe? Um, I had this like um, earthy, um oud kind of earthy smell that was really because I wanted I don't remember I don't know if you remember the scene I think it's in the second episode when she comes back and she says you forget how earth smells I kind of wanted to wear something that had a bit like earth um so the closest I could get, because um, sometimes I have a perfume, like I know a pers person that works with this that makes my smell for characters. But this one, I found this like Hermes smell called Terre, like Earth. And uh, it's for men, but I really love it. So I, was, I started using that one because it has something quite earthy about it. Um, and yeah, my playlist was really... Um, Lenita, the playlist is a lot of like, it was kind of a lot of knife, right? And yeah, I was listening to like knife and Portis head and like kind of Trent and Muller, Sigur Rós. Um, I was listening to like all kind of massive attack, kind of electronic justice on my Instagram. I'm going to post like, I don't, I only kind of, um, I post around my characters. I post around work. So I'm going to kind of post this playlist, I think, just when Constellation comes out so people can listen to what I was listening to in the makeup trailer and when I was at the gym to kind of get into the head of Joe a bit. So, yeah, I will share it in two weeks. 
on our sister podcast, you said something that was very cool on the, on the Empire podcast a while back. You said you have a penchant for Jamaican music. Um, yeah. And that Will Smith <laughs> said, and I'm quoting here, your music taste makes Snoop Dogg blush, which is one of the best things that's ever been said on any podcast ever, I'm pretty sure. But what, are you still listening to Jamaican music these days? And, and what, what recommendations can you give me in that regard? Oh, yeah, I am. I mean, I love... I love this lady, um, Lady Saw. Do you know Lady Saw? She's like, no, she's awesome. She's like, it's she's funny as well. I mean, I listen to um, Alkaline. I listen to, um, I have like a whole like Jamaican list that I kind of go back into and I add new songs. And, um, and some of them are quite like, <laughs> I mean, for Swedish people, they they say things that you know should not be said, and I love it. I think it's really funny, and it's like sexual and raw, and kind of you know, it's just like very animalistic and primal. <laughs> I'm, you know, I need to make these Spotify playlists public so that I can listen. I need these guys. But on that note, uh, Nimi, thank you so much for your time. Congratulations! Thank you. Thank you. That was Numi Rabass. And time now for news. Uh, and while we're on the subject of elite Apple sci-fi, we should probably mention that Invasion mm. has been renewed for a third season. And I feel it is a personal failing of mine that it is an Apple elite sci-fi show that not only have I not finished the first season, I've started and not finished the second season as well. It's very unlike you. I know. Unlike you. I'm the same, but that's completely like me. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm shocked. If you just not got into it. So I watched the first six episodes of the first season, but I just found its deliberate pace a little too deliberate. Mm. And it just didn't engage me. And then we started the second season. I was like, oh, this is quite good. I should go back and watch the first. I didn't. Yeah, it's quite Apple's. Very, it doesn't catch so much, does it? They're pretty no, loyal. I mean, I love that about them. Yeah, it's mm. great. It is. It is it's but they did to... actually make a doom. But you know what? Fair enough. Fair enough. Oh God, I mean that, that <laughs> should have been actually before it was made. It's an irritating program. Um, but invasion. Yeah, it's interesting because it looks absolutely hugely expensive. Yeah, it's not. It looked like you know um, in their shows. I mean, all of their big sci-fi shows look, look hugely expensive. To be fair. Yeah. But I mean, um, all of their shows. Well, yeah, but I mean, like, yeah, definitely the sci-fi ones it seem like gigantic. How much bigger can a word get? Than, than, well, <laughs> ginormous, the, ginormous, mm. humongous, splendiferous. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I'm fully in favour of it. Yeah, so, and, and and it's one of those shows. Yeah, I, I I didn't. It's good. I mean, it's interesting. And I, I remember very clearly the first episode was something we reviewed of season two, didn't we? Yes. The David Bowie, um, yes. strong David Bowie vibes. So I, I need to watch the rest of it. Yeah, too much TV, too little time. Well, I mean, that's the subtitle of the whole podcast. It is indeed. It is indeed, because we can't watch everything, and apparently neither can we. Uh, okay, fine. We had a few release dates. I don't know if you guys are interested. So The Bear, The Bear, all covered in hair, returns in June of this year. Am I right in saying that the season two of The Bear took a while to arrive in on Disney Plus here? Uh, or am I wrong? Am I, wrong I mean, wrong? the season one took like the better part of a year to arrive yes, on Disney that's Plus. that's right. Season I don't think one. season two did. You're right. It was season um, one I was yeah. thinking of, yeah. yeah. But uh, psyched to see what particular Taylor Swift song Richie's going to be into in this season. That's very exciting. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have, a, I, have a, I have a Richie and Eben Moss Backrack t-shirt, uh, which I will be wearing on the uh, upcoming Empire Tour. Where did you get this t-shirt from? Well, someone was wearing it at the recent Live 600 show. And mm. I was like, that t-shirt is amazing. Uh, and so I went and bought one. Is it like his, his, his face on it? 
It, it has got his face really? on it, among other things. It, it may or may not be slightly Taylor Swift themed, uh, uh, but it's, right. it's oh very God, funny. Like all your favourite things. Yeah, all my favourite things on one shirt. So yes, I'll be wearing that on the tour. And while I'm mentioning the tour, and this is the news section, you can buy <laughs> tickets now for the upcoming and Evening with the Empire podcast tour. Please do so. We're going to be in Birmingham in like a week and a bit. That's very, very exciting. Then we're going to be going to Norwich. Then we're going to be going to, I'm trying to desperately remember what the order is, Dublin? Probably Dublin. And then Sheffield and then Salford. Do buy tickets. It's going to be exciting. They will not be going out as podcasts. They will be exclusive to people in the room. And it's going to be How very exciting. How are you exciting. going to record the pilot uh, podcast? It's it's hard to say. Uh, I, yeah, there's going to be some scheduling snafus. But for most mm. of them, I hopefully will be able to get back to the studio in time. Uh, maybe we we'll, can patch you through. Yeah. Otherwise, you guys, you can just meet me in Salford. Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, n- enough shilling. Uh, the Acolyte, which Kay in particular is very, very excited about, that is one of the new Star Wars shows coming out, one of the more exciting Star Wars shows, actually. And that one has a summer 2024 release date. So, I mean, not the most specific in the world, but it does let us know when we're getting it, and that is cool. What have you got for me that's cool, Kay? Uh, Molly Shannon has joined the cast of Only Murders in the Building, Boyd, for season four. I know. Yes. And a recurring role. She's so. great, Molly Shan. So that's, yeah, that's a very good, um, very good news. No, oh, yes, yeah, so I look forward to our spoiler specials for her. Uh... We're not doing that again. <laughs> no, we're not. Oh no. my gosh. I, I mean, I enjoyed that. it. But... Do you remember that? When he was like totally agreed to it and then he like yeah, pulled out? Yeah. Fucking ridiculous. Look, Only Murders yeah. in the Boring is just not a show oh, that I can be dear. doing. I just, I can't do it. You've let us all down there. Um, Gavin and Stacey is reportedly returning for a Christmas special. Now, you're friends with James. Yes. Do you have any intel? This is. Huge news. Are you yeah. in it? I, I don't think... Well, Are you reprising, reprising your role as CNA mm. employee number four? M&S. Was it M&S? Yeah. Oh, I should have guessed. CNA doesn't was... no longer exist, I think. No, it's it an old show. I mean, it's so about shopping you do. Um, you probably have your staff to kind of... All... <laughs> I can't emphasise enough how much I don't have a staff. <laughs> yeah, this, I mean, it seems no comment, no official comment that has been made by um, any of the gang, uh, including James. Um, James. But it was a Deadline, I think, reported it and they're pretty reliable source, so, so there must be some truth to it. I, I mean, it seems like a no-brainer to me. Well, it ended on such a climax, it like, it with a cliffhanger. cliffhanger. Yeah, sorry. Where Nessa got down on one knee, yeah. we didn't hear if Smithy said yes or no. Yeah, and not more also, I mean, the, the, apart from artistically and creatively, we want to see what happened, it was the most watched show. I think it's the most watched scripted show in TV history I think or certainly up there and certainly in the last like decade or it got 18, 19 million people watched it it was fucking unbelievable it was absolutely massive so you know the BBC great pottery throwdown (laughs) well yeah (laughs) second only is the great great pottery throwdown Um, so and I I interviewed James late last year when he came back I think it was the first post-American Return from America interview that he did at the RTS Cambridge um, festival and I asked him whether he he was I asked him outright whether it was going to do, and he was like, you know, we'll see. It was a kind of we'll see situation, but it was definitely wasn't I'm, a no. Do you know how I'm telling that now? Boyd was responsible for the special happening. I mean, yeah, I think that's fair. Mm. Yeah, I'm sure Deadline would love to think that I got there first. <laughs> um, so yeah, it seems. I mean, yeah, it seems it's exciting. Very it's exciting. very, very exciting. Yeah. And the final bit of news from me is that Sky has confirmed the second season of Based on a True Story. And the final bit of news is that Sky has confirmed the second season of Based on a True Story, starring Kaylee Cuoco, Chris Messina and Tom Bateman. So, good news. Do you know what's interesting is, 
that I, uh, is I watched the first few episodes of that show and it is good but I haven't got to the ending but that's quite a spoiler in a way <laughs> oh sorry I mean no 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 not you I mean they're them <laughs> that they've announced it look, yeah that they're all coming back I have yeah. not seen that show yeah. I haven't it, it is interesting it's an interesting show so yeah do you think we should get into it yes worth trying out definitely yeah I'm going to say the new the big for me the biggest news of the week is can you guess it's a rating story basically that the Super Bowl last Sunday Super Bowl was the most watched broadcast in TV fucking history. I think we all know why though, don't we? Boy? Well, do you know I'm what? surprised you weren't watching it, like James. <laughs> you may you may I don't know whether you are joking, but no, it's not. actually yes, true. That is the reason because yeah. It, yeah, well, of course the Super Bowl. Here's the thing: the Super Bowl is always the most watched broadcast of the year in, on American TV, and traditionally, and it, and if you look at, I've got the list of like the most of the top twenty most watched shows in American TV history, and the Super Bowl dominates. But what's interesting is generally. It, it's been hovering around the 115, 140 million mark year by year. Bloody yeah. But this year's 124 million people watched it, which is a big bounce. And I think you have to credit the Taylor Swift issue. Of course. Because it's like yeah. this extraordinary coming together of the height of American sports culture. But the Super Bowl is so universally kind of it's such a it's such a huge pop cultural event in America that everyone watches it. Like I almost would say even you, James, you know, with your aversion to sport generally, might bother to watch it because no. you've got the ads. No, no, no. Because you've got no let way me is James going to watch the Super Bowl. Let me finish. Let me finish. Because it's not just about the it's you've got the ads. So trail all the big trailers yeah. for films, yeah. new blockbuster films get unveiled. Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito right. back together. Exactly. All yeah. that stuff. David Be- the Beckhams. All that they have these huge, big, lavish James ads. And you've got the halftime show, which is a massive thing. You know. So it's you know. I'm not. I'm not saying James. Which was the fall of the House of Usher. <laughs> <laughs> not, not exactly. Um, so, it, but it is all, it, it's more than just a sporting event, is what I'm saying. It's a huge big cultural event. But so you've got all of that. And this year, uniquely, you've got the fact that Taylor Swift is dating one of the key players, one of the best players for the winning team, the Kansas City Chiefs. And that is was a massive, massive thing because mm. I believe that this is true, that she hadn't actually officially confirmed that they were even dating and then you, she hot-footed it to the oh, stadium. I think, I think, I I think that's think confirmed. Had. Like, that's... Well, that's I, wa- I watched an American chat show where oh, they, she where never they... said. Well, I mean, we've seen her kissing him backstage, so like, I think oh, the cat okay. is out of the bag. Well, okay. Oh, um, well, the, 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 I just to be fair, this... I think we should like listen to James as the number one fan. <laughs> I know he's, he's still, probably got a little I know spy he's still cam still. Swift. I know, I know, that's true. <laughs> I, I have I, heard that Travis Kelsey has a very tight end. What? He's oh, a tight end. Yeah. That see, that's that's that that K right no. there. That was an excellent sports joke. That was. You see, this is this is the extent to which even James has been. The Super Bowl is like you no, know, but thin. see, see, yeah. you tell me, sure, K, because actually, I understand all the rules to American football in a way I do not understand the rules to actual English football I mean, that because because nuts. I I really like Friday Night Lights and I got really into it watching Friday Night Lights. So I actually quite like American football. This I still don't watch the Super Bowl. This is the, ma- this is the madness we have just, to yeah. deal with. Yeah. But it became a whole thing, wasn't it? Because wasn't she was flying back from Japan. It was, yeah. will she mm. make it? And she's yeah. going through the time zones, which brings us back to TV again, because everyone was like posting uh, clips from the West Wing, explaining how the time zones yeah. work between Japan and the US. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, it was a big TV yeah. event. It was a, but uh, seriously, that, uh, that, it's the only explanation as to why it's up so much this year and why it is literally the most watched broadcast in television history. Do you know your start of a 10... I won't bang on about it all the time, but what is the mo- the first non-sporting show, the highest non-sporting show in the list of the biggest shows of Can all time? Can we get a clue? Uh, the finale of MASH. Correct. I mean, you don't oh. need a cue because he's right. Yeah, it's yes. the finale of MASH. Yeah. Yeah. Kay's looking at me absolutely gobsmacked. <laughs> I know stuff, so shoot me. Yeah. 
Good knowledge. Had you looked at the list? No, no, I do. I, I know that as VAT. Like, okay. I know that as VAT. I yeah. can't remember why I know that, but I do know that. Um, admittedly, it's probably not normal to know that. Uh, I do know that. 105 million, 105 million, 970 watched the MASH uh, finale. Um, and literally the top 20 of, of the most watched events, every single other show is the Super Bowl. So it's like MASH is the only non-sporting show in the top 20 most watched TV broadcasts of all time. I think you'll find that's borderline fascinating, Kate. <laughs> Maybe not. Is, Maybe is, it's just good. me. Yeah, that is. it's the most watched uh, TV episode of all time. It's yeah. the finale, final episode. Oh, I've just realised that the, the Variety's got a story on the Bridgerton, pull the face, okay, uh, thing that I was talking about. And they quote what I was talking about. It's, it's Luke Newton who mm. teased season three saying it's steamy across the board. There you go, Luke Newton, who is the uh, love interest Luke for Newton, Penelope. not Duke Newcomb. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obscure video game reference. <laughs> you got it, though. <laughs> uh, me, yeah. That's, yeah. He but, plays Colin, doesn't he? He plays Colin, correct. Colin Bridgerton. There you go. So, yeah, yeah, that was it was him. I'm glad I found that. Does he work in finance? <laughs> no, Colin from Why? Because that would have oh, been excellent. Oh. That would have been excellent if he did. Yeah, that would have been If he worked for, worked for a bank. Yeah, I don't think no, he, he does. No, he doesn't. Damn no. it. No, that's too much to ask. Yeah. Um, okay, that wait, was, wait, that was you know the big Colin news. Colin is the fictional character, right? Hmm? From Bridgerton. Colin Bridgerton. Yeah. I, I mean, I, mean I, he could have been. He could have worked in finance in the show, couldn't he? He could have been a banker really? in the show. Yeah, of course. He's from a. He's from a like a, a aris, not aristocrat. No, I know. Like, I mean, I'm not saying it's likely, but it just could have been. It would have been. I don't know why I've decided to pull on this thread. No, so no I don't <laughs> know what's happening. No. Like, like. Oh, I, I, I mean, I realise that Colin isn't an actual, like, real-life yeah. person, that he's a character from a TV show, yes. No, I thought you thought that was the actor, sorry. No, I thought, like, maybe he worked for, like, a like a bank in Bridgerton. Like, he was, like, a banker in Bridgerton, mm. therefore he would have been Colin from Accounts. It's good that we've been able to anyway. beat this joke to death so thoroughly. Yeah. Um, I think there's one more news story that I'm surprised you haven't mentioned. Is it going to be, is it going to be Ethan Hawke? No. Who's going to be in an FX show no. uh, from Reservation Dogs creator Sterling Harshow. No. And the only thing we know about the show is that he's playing a guy who knows too much. That's all we know. Oh, okay. All right. No. Is it going to be? Is it going to be the Leo Woodle, no. Ridley Scott thing? No. I mean, no. what's that? Yeah. Leo Woodle's going to be in an Apple TV Plus thriller from the one and only Ridley Scott. Quintessa Swindell is also in it as well. Uh, and this is coming from uh, Charlotte writer Steve Thompson. Uh, Ridders is on to produce. As for what it's about, it's about a mathematician not working in a bank, uh, played by Leo Woodall, and he's on the verge of unlocking the secret to prime numbers. Now, this is the stuff that great drama is made of. Uh, but apparently there's a dangerous, dangerous threat. There's a threat to the prime numbers or to stop his research. Oh. Who knew prime numbers were so sexy and Isn't exciting? Isn't there a film called Prime about prime numbers? I think there is. Maybe. I think so. Are you um, thinking of Optimus Prime? No, I'm thinking of Prime. Are I'm you thinking of Amazon Prime Video? <laughs> no, Prime Video. <laughs> no, that's not the story that I'm talking about, the new story. It's not. Okay. I'm going to show you the picture now. Show me the listeners. picture. The picture is... Oh, it's a picture of, it's a picture of Strike and yes. Robin. <gasps> yes. They've started work shooting yes. on the Ink Black Heart. Yes. Oh, I didn't see this news. Well, that's very exciting stuff. It. Yeah. Yeah, it was announced um, uh, yesterday, BBC, that shooting has started on uh, Strike, the next Strike um, series. Based on the Ink Black Heart. Based on the Ink Black Heart. And one of James's favourite shows, Tom Burke, he's one of his favourite people, Holiday Granger. Uh, have you read the book? Do you read the I, books? No, I never read the books because I, I, yeah. I was introduced to Strike via the show. Right. And I don't read the books. No. I just... Um, yeah, so, and they've also a supporting cast been announced. Um, uh, David Westhead from Enola Holmes, Christian Mackay from Rivals and Dangerous Liaisons, Emma Fielding from Sandy Ton. Tupele Dorgu from The Full Monty and Jace, James Nelson Joyce from Time, among others. Oh, Ruth Sheen from It's a Sin. She's great. There you go. Yeah, anyway. Exciting 
news. That is exciting news. Uh, there were a few other things. White Lotus 3 has begun filming. There was a trailer for X-Men 97. Woohoo! Uh, but let's not get into that. Let us instead move on to this week's reviews, since we have a lot to cover and a limited amount of time before I have to go to the Dune premiere. Um, first up, we have... The Way, which is a BBC drama that sees the people of Port Talbot in Wales take their fight to the man uh, and also take to the picket lines. But this is not just a simple series of striking miners, is it, Boydie? As our friend Din Djarin might ask, is this indeed The Way? <laughs> um, this is The Way. I, I have to come clean. I hosted the uh, Q&A. Horribly compromised. Okay, <laughs> no, no too late now. You start with me and you start to say you'll finish. <laughs> Um, I really... This is a very different kettle of TV drama. Of kettle of miners. Kettle yeah. of miners. Because this is a coming together, um, creatively, of James Graham, who wrote things like Sherwood. He also wrote um, the uh, play about quiz uh, and, and the TV series about the who wants to be a millionaire, million-winning person. Um, and he wrote recently Dear England, brilliant uh, national theatre play about football, about the England football team. He's an incredibly talented writer. Um, it's directed by Michael Sheen. Mm. Uh, the first TV show he's directed, in, obviously we, he's also in it as well as a kind of ghostly apparition figure. And But the real kind of unusual element of this is exec produced by documentary maker Adam Curtis, who, who's one of whose recent series we reviewed on this very show, didn't we? He specialises in these quite very stylized documentaries that use footage of all kinds of footage, found footage and historical footage of stuff, and kind of melds them together to kind of show us how um, societies work and how institutions work. They're really these bold, ambitious things. He's, he's a unique figure, I would say, in making documentaries. And he is heavily involved. He, like, originally they called him co-creator. I think he didn't want to be called co-creator because he didn't want to take too much of the credit. But he's, his his handprints, his fingerprints, or whatever the phrase is, <laughs> handprints? His, his fingerprints are all over this because the way it's edited and put together, and it does actually use vintage footage, for example, um, it really gives it a different and unique feel. Now, I think this is not going to be to everyone's taste. I think this is going to be a little, I, I, my feeling anyway, it's going to be a bit of an acquired taste, a bit divisive because it is quite out there. It, it begins with, and it's quite ambitious in its kind of execution and its ideas. And basically the whole idea is that in Port Talbot, in Wales, the whole the local community begins to rise up and what starts as a small you know kernel if you like of of rebellion um gets bigger and bigger and bigger i've watched episode two i've watched episode three yet but in episode two the central family then becomes these like outcasts and it's almost like they're refugees within britain within wales from the uh, the rest of the population due to various things that i won't go into because there'll be spoilers so it's dealing with like you know it's dealing with working class revolution it's dealing with family the power of a family and families torn apart by kind of ideology and stuff and um, which is a bit sh bit like show with james graham's show but it's also got this kind of fantastical element to it in episode two all i'll say is there's a talking teddy bear and is it ted it's not Ted, and it's not Ted, no. It's literally like a little teddy bear that someone finds in a like, gutter somewhere and it starts talking. And you're like, okay, this is not, you know, you, this is a different kind of show. It's not a naturalistic show. It's not, it kind of feels like social realism, but well, it's not. 
I was going to say this is this is my old favourite. The tonal shifts again, isn't it? In oh the- my god! So, <laughs> but what I would say is, so what's really interesting is it is absolutely the tonal shifts of tonal shifts. <laughs> but in the Q and A that I hosted, I I asked, I said to Michael Sheen, mm. this is a real roller coaster of tone, and he was like, absolutely yeah, yes, it's deliberate, and it's mm. deliberate mixing of social realism, fantastical, almost sci-fi, horror, horror, farce, farce yeah, exactly. And mm. I'm there for it. I think it's really interesting and. Uh, ambitious and I'm using the B word bold and I, I and I, I love it but I can see why other people might reel from it and it's kind of amazing it's on primetime BBC One as well at nine o'clock because mm. it is quite weird it, I, do you know what it, it had a Russell T Davisy yes. feel to me because he years and, and years and also yeah, yeah well, exactly and he had Callum Scott Howells who's obviously yeah. from it's I haven't even talked about it um, yeah. it almost takes place like years and years in like a parallel yeah universe ver- I mean that's the theme for this week's show I think this parallel universe version of Britain and I did a, at least five or six sort of double takes while yeah. watching this. Like, what is going on? Like, I yeah. could not pin down the genre, the tone, what it was doing. Why is Michael Sheen a ghost? What is happening? There's a man on fire. And I killed a guy with a trident. Like, it was extraordinary. I, uh, yeah, I mean, the whole thing kind of blew my mind. But I kind of, as this went on, I was like, I think this is genius. Mm. But I don't think I fully understand it. But yeah, yeah, I I, I was a little bit sort of like, you understand now why I had to go back and start watching Buffy and Friends and stuff. This week has blown my brain. Yeah, it's a lot to take in. Okay. Was it minor or major for you? (laughs) This is a show that I think, you know, it's one of these shows that I think I should like, you know, because I I can get it's... So can I just say, by the way, it's a steelworks, not a mining yeah, <laughs> operation. It is. It's a steelworks. They're, they're, steelworks. His dad was oh, a miner. Oh, yes, you're right. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> just, I mean, it is a steelworks. Right beginning. It is a steelworks, not yeah. a mine. Well, that's my whole pun you know. fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on. This is one that I think I should like, because I can tell it's, as you say, it's ambitious, it's unique, it's innovative, and all, you know, original. I just, I'm one of those people. I found the... Um, the Total splice- shifts? Yeah, the tonal shifts, the splicing of the news footage, and there was so much of it, mm. I found it jarring. Um, and the surreal, fantastical elements also um, sort of alienated me somewhat. So, And like little minutes, like you walk in and someone's wearing like a Donald Trump mask. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and like, Maggie Thatcher. And Thatcher, yeah. and you're like, what's well, I happening? That, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, I, I actually yeah. weirdly did like that moment, but it was it's so disorientating yeah. that... Um, I found it too discombobulating. I think Boydie's spot on, though. I do think this is going to be divisive. I think people will hate it and people will love it. And I, I think it's one of these things where you you either kind of access it and accept it for what it is, or you don't. And this is the kind of show that I'd be the first to admit, I often have difficulty with this kind of thing. If I can't pin down the tone, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I really know struggle. Yeah. <laughs> but but for some reason with this one, I think I just got swept along for the ride. Yeah, same. Yeah, I think, it's, I think it is... I can see why you might not go along with it, but... I don't think it's inaccessible. It's just that you might find it just jarring. Yeah, it's definitely deliberately jarring for mm. sure. It's definitely getting you know, and that's part of the whole kind of concept. It's kind of provocative it. in that way, yeah, right? It is, that's yeah. the word. Yeah, it's trying yeah. to. It's provocative, deliberately but provocative. When I say inaccessible, I guess what I'm trying to say is, with a lot of TV shows, I think there's a sense that, or maybe this is just me because I'm a lunatic, but like when I watch a TV show, I like to kind of pretend I'm in it, and to be what? in it. Like when I like I like I project myself inside. I have to be in it to win it, (laughs) and you know, and I need to be able to sort of find a way into the story to almost like accept it and be part of it. And if I can't pin down the tone or work out what it is, I sometimes find that a barrier to kind of like a barrier to entry for me. Didn't hear, but but often Mm. oftentimes again. So and I and I think that some people may have a similar. That's really odd. So you found, but you found like you could 
enter this this show, which is I would say it was harder to enter I, yeah, than and, other shows. That and I would agree with you. And normally, like if you if you'd spoken to me about this beforehand, I'd have said, yeah, I'm not going to get on with that. But I think something about it was quite mystifying and compelling and fascinating. And I think that aspect of it drew you in. Also, frankly, there was a ghost in it, and anything like that, you know, is always going to be on my radar. But I, I, you know, I just. I was trying to get my head around what was going on and I felt that fascination just kept me locked onto it when otherwise I might have been like, I don't know what's happening, I don't like it. But yeah, I, I found it riveting. The ghost thing reminded me of all of us um, strangers. No spoilers there. Oh, I suppose it is because it's oh, a ghost come story. come on. Uh, but uh, yes, yeah, yeah, exactly that. Yeah, there's it, a little bit, yeah. It had a, it had a hint of that too. Yeah. I think the way in is Callum Scott Howe's though, character. Mm. Yeah. Because he, he starts with him doing a Does, voiceover. Yeah. And he's, got, he's a very interesting character and he has a really interesting scene with this girl that he's kind of seeing kind of seeing and th that revelation in that scene I thought was so interesting mm. and it's just kind of like, it's oh, quite dark as quite well dark. Yes. the conversation quite, he has with his yeah. doctor you're like oh, that's bleak yeah yeah we but should I, say he plays he's the son of still worker Jeff played by Stefan Rodri we should say that yeah mm. Because yeah, it's Stephen Rodri from um, Gavin Stacey, Yeah, that's of a full circle. Yeah. Yeah. We should say that like this show literally starts with a scene of self-immolation. So it's like it's yes. it doesn't mess about. No. But shot very tastefully and not in a traumatic or gratuitous mm. or sort of salacious way. Mm. I thought it was, you know, it's really really well really well constructed. Yeah. No, I loved it. The way then, which is on the BBC One. Today, Monday. Today on Monday. Um 9 p.m. Next up. We are breathtaking, and this one's on ITV. Uh, this is, frankly, a rather harrowing dramatisation of the outbreak of COVID-19 in the UK at the beginning of 2020, right before the first lockdown. Uh, and this, I think it's safe to say, is a period everyone listening remembers all too well. I do think, and what's quite pointed about this show is what's very easy to forget it, well, obviously now that we're all kind of vaccinated and the strains in circulation now are a lot milder than they were, is just how frightening and dangerous all of this was when it first started to emerge. And also, as has emerged since then, how rampant incompetence from those in charge made it all so much worse than it absolutely needed to be. Kay, tell us about this. This is, as you said, it is a harrowing watch. And But the thing is, uh, you know, obviously we we all experienced it right but and we saw the reports and we read the news articles but i think what this does a great job of it just like plunges you straight in it really drives home hmm. that so successfully how how bad the situation was for the frontline workers you know we all clapped them but actually what was it like for them and so we see the nurses the doctors the paramedics everyone facing this collective trauma which was made worse as you say because they didn't have the right equipment and they weren't being listened to it's based on the memoir by Dr. Rachel Clark, and it's been adapted by um, Jen Mercurio and actor Prasanna Puanaraja. And basically, Joanne Frogger plays Dr. Abby Henderson, who's loosely play, uh, based on uh, Rachel Clark, um, who was a palliative care doctor who split her time between a hospice and where she worked in um, Oxford Hospital. And Abby is on the front line, and she's ba the, she's in the cold zone, what they call the cold zone, which I didn't know any of this terminology right Same. so there's a hot zone mm. where you've got covid patients um who have either traveled and there was very few at the beginning so it starts on the 3rd of march uh, 2020 and what i think is really effective is they do a countdown they count down the days to lockdown so that heightens everything because you know how bad it's going to get they don't um and you see that she's in the cold zone meaning that she's treating patients they've been triaged they've not traveled anyway they should be fine yet some of them 
have got symptoms, but because they haven't travelled, um, they are refused. The doctors and nurses are refused the PPE to deal with them because they've had um, Public Health London have set out this criteria. It's very restrictive and it's rapidly out of date and they're not adapting according to what the doctors and the nurses are seeing on the front line. And so it's it's just horrific when you're watching it because these these nurses and doctors are having patients who clearly, well, as we now know, have symptoms and they don't have the right equipment. So they're making like getting bin liners. And mm. we're seeing that they're even like saying, people are saying to them, oh, well, if you go onto Amazon, you can buy this um, this equipment for £300. School children making them visors. Oh, that, yeah. Visors and like dentists and builders and all these people sending in equipment. Mm. And you just think this is how bad it was. Um, and it again, like with the way they've spliced it with, but I liked the splicing here of the news footage <laughs> of, Boris. Which, of Boris basically talking. So um, Boris is there kind of explaining that, oh, yeah, no, it's all fine. You know, it's contained. It's not, you know, it's not that serious. I've been on a ward shaking hands. And then it cuts to what the doctors and nurses are going through. How and, how angry were you watching oh this? Like, it makes you I was, furious. Do you know what? I was so furious. And, and you see this kind of the toll it takes on the staff, the mental health, their mental health, how it affects them and their families. The scene that I found most poignant and difficult to like process was this one where the paramedics are bringing a, a patient to the hospital, right, who's dead on arrival. And Froggett's character goes out to meet them and they explain to her, well, actually, do you know what? They were alive, you know, but they they basically, they didn't resuscitate this, um, this patient because they were instructed that unless they had certain PPE, they were wearing it, they couldn't resuscitate someone. Mm. And so on the one hand, you're sort of, a split second, you're sort of furious because you're like, how could you watch someone die? But then also you understand the fear they had of if they contracted it, first of all, obviously the fear of dying, but also they wouldn't be able to help anyone else. Mm. And you really get the idea of the moral corruption conundrums they were in and the, the horrendous situation of being put into these you know positions of having to choose life or death of people because of the equipment and the and they're running out of vital stuff like oxygen mm. you're like oh my god how did it get to this this point so and it's just like nowadays everyone gets covid like three or four times a year but back then a nobody knew right like we didn't know like there was this genuine sense if you catch it you'll die but that was the case for a mm -hmm. lot of people because the early strains were really potent mm -hmm. and people genuinely died like and a lot you, of people also, it was, if you're above a certain age if you're like in your 60s onwards you know you were much more susceptible to it than people younger than that as well so though you know most of the people who I think it's safe to say you're in that first wave of people who ended up in hospital being intubated, which is horrific in itself, yeah. mm. were, you know, kind of my age and older. And the survival old. rate for people who were intubated was not great. No. And like, obviously we saw that Jodie Comer series, Help, yeah. wasn't mm. it? Which was Stephen Graham, which kind of yeah. covered this. That Set was another homes, one. Which, wasn't it? Yeah, but I think the difference horrifying. is, for me, this is, this is the new Mr. Bates versus the post office for mm. me. And it, and it is as important and powerful what it's saying as that was, as that was telling us about this huge injustice mm. that post most postmasters and missionaries went through. This is to, telling us a huge injustice that NHS workers went through. Yep. And the key for me is, because you still get, believe me, I tweeted about this and I got a barrage, I mean, literally. What, from the anti-Manx brigade? Yeah. And it, they're, they're still around, and it's actually got bigger, the anti-vax. The kind of, there's a mixture of anti-vaxxers and people who say that we shouldn't have lockdown. There's a lot of those in mainstream newspapers, politicians, loads of politicians who think we should have locked down, we went too far, all this, that and the other. That's a huge movement, if you like, who think that you know all of, and and what they what they're not addressing and the most important thing about that what that the whole experience dramatized by this show is it was the overwhelming of hospitals that was the problem that was the issue i mean obviously people 
dying from this because it was a horrendous thing, especially if you were old enough. But they had to treat dozens and th- hundreds and thousands of people getting this new um, virus in hospital. They had they couldn't just leave them, you know, to, to die. And it's and almost like people got ill with other things. Yeah, right, and couldn't be treated. Exactly. So the, it was the overwhelming of hospitals. Not every hospital, by the way, you know, but certainly in London, this is a London hospital. I think the reason for that is because a lot of London hospitals really were overwhelmed. Um, and, and how? And I think it's really important. To, it's just as how the victims of the post office drama were shown, and they were seen. They felt seen by that. You know, people mm. came out of the woodwork who hadn't even who hadn't even thought of challenging the post office in this. I think nurses and doctors and paramedics will be feel seen by this drama, and that's the important, really important thing about it that their experience has been dramatised because this is this is a first. I don't think we've seen there. There, remember, I remember seeing news items of inside that allow a camera crew into yeah, the wall yeah, yeah. to show the that. horror of it. Oh remember? my gosh, yeah, horrific. Um, and people almost wanted to close your eyes to it. Yeah, you know. But this is, and it is because difficult. we were still in it, right? Yeah. As well, this is difficult, but I think what's brilliant is because it is like you know Gemma Curie, and I think they've all written it together, the three of them, which is really interesting, um, and and they do all make it um, very compelling, and it is it's one of those things that yeah, it is difficult. It's not an easy watch. Obviously, it would be insane for it to be an easy watch because it's showing so much trauma, but. Equally, it's very compelling. And, mm-hmm. and the focus on Joanne Frogert's character works really well. And that interweaving of the news footage is so clever. And by the way, they made the point, I, I went to the, I didn't host it, I went to the Q&A for this. <laughs> and they made the point that they meticulously time the news footage. So when Boris Johnson, in, in one of the news conferences says, oh, I'm carrying on shaking hands with people. I'm not. You then cut to the effect that that it had at that very moment, that day, that almost of the hour that, that NHS workers were going through. Yeah, it's really clever. So it's not ran, It's not like a loose connection of timelines. It's actually showing you almost Gosh. in real time how politicians and NHS and NHS bureaucrats, all the bullshit they were spouting, whilst the actual people on the ground were going through this sheer hell that is de- depicted in the show. So I think it's a really important show yeah. from that point of view. I mean, the footage of the Cheltenham races and then... Right, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Breathtaking then, which lands on ITV, Boydie. It's today, Monday. It's uh, stripped across Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, three parts, uh, nine o'clock, ITV One. Finally this week, we have Apple's Constellation, which you already heard about from Numi herself. This is, as we said, a mind-bending quantum sci-fi in which nothing is kind of as it seems, but also things seem to coexist in two states simultaneously, like Schrodinger's streaming series. Uh, Boydie, are you... A constellation apologist, or did you think it was a load of old Sputnik? <laughs> that might be your best yet. <laughs> yeah, that's that's very good. Um, this is created and written by Peter Harness, who is an English uh, writer. He wrote McMafia, some of it, um, Case Histories, which was that was one of my favourite books. Um, uh, so Jackson Brody. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it stars, as uh, uh, as you said, Numi Rapace. Um, James Darcy plays her husband. And what I think you're alluding to in, um, in your description of the slightly bewildering nature of the show is that... Like when you read the description, it's oh, you know, it's about an astronaut and she's in space and there's an incident. Yeah. And you think, oh, it's a bit like gravity, you know, yeah. very much like gravity. In some very ways. much. Um, and in some ways it is. In some ways it's gravity. But then, but the difference is mm. when she's back on Earth, back in the, you know, in the, in the bosom of her family and back in the world, weird shit starts happening. <laughs> and it's almost like, um, what's that cipher for? Out event of, Horizon. Event Horizon, <laughs> isn't it? It's like Event Horizon, <laughs> but back on Earth. Yes. It's like if the, if the crew from Event Horizon somehow got back, 
that, yeah. avoided being in hell or wherever the hell it was, um, that weird things would start happening to them on the ground where they are on Earth. And so it was just a, kind of an interesting um, premise, I think, an interesting... So it's kind of like... It's not hard sci-fi. What did you describe it as? Uh, I, I called it elite sci-fi, elite sci-fi, but that's mainly because it's on Apple. I don't think... I mean, actually, it's not, yeah, it's I not, wouldn't... It's not hard sci-fi. No. It is kind of elite sci-fi. It's elite in the sense that it's beautifully made yes. space set But not stuff. the most accessible. No. When it, well, but I think you're... Conf- I think it's accessible. I think, I think spa- it's just... When it's up in space, I think it's accessible when it gets down below. Yeah, but it's, it's mysterious. It's, it's yeah. setting up well, a so, mystery. So I watched... The, so the trailer yeah. made it, it had a very clear setup to a central premise that made absolute sense. I was like, oh, okay, yes. I'm really into this. Yes. I watched the first episode of this, got to the end, and was like, I don't know what's going on. So I watched another episode, and I was like, yep, still not getting it. So I watched another episode, and I was like, I maybe have a slight handle on a bit of it, but that's so I'm three hours in, and I'm still playing, very much playing catch-up. Yeah. I'm going to watch more because I need to know what's going on, and it's, it's, it's hooked me. But it, I mean, it's complex, and it is, we always say this, it's de- it is deliberately paced. It's yeah. not in a hurry to get anywhere. No. The first episode is very much like Haunted Space Station. It's haunted, a haunting on the ISS. Uh, and it's it's very effective. Like, it gives you chills. Like, it, it's quite mm-hmm. creepy. But it, but it's, as you say, it's when she comes back down, it's, you know how, how and we talked about this in True Detective, True Detective is very, very ambiguous with, you know, is it supernatural? Is it not? Like, what mm. the hell is going on? This does something very similar where it's incredibly ambiguous. Is she insane? Mm. Or are we in Event Horizon? Like, that's genuinely what you're asking. There's weird stuff with her kids. Like, the, the trailer heavily implies there's a there's a parallel world element to this story. But three episodes in, that certainly isn't clear. So... Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it is very much deliberate. It's deliberately placed, but it's also deliberately conf- bewildering yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and enigmatic effective. and mysterious. Mm. The mystery is, mm. what is the story we're telling? But it reminded me a bit of the Tom Holland Apple TV Plus show, The Crowded Room, where it was like weird shit was going on and you didn't really know what was happening, especially if you didn't read the Wikipedia entry, which talked about the original book and stuff. Do you know what I mean? And so it's like, the the, the mystery is, we are telling the story and we're not, we're going to un- unpeel it layer by layer and, and, and discombobulate you. Mm. It's twice reviews discombobulated in one podcast. So I think it's, and that makes it really um, compelling and makes you want to carry on watching it, for me anyway. So I, I, I haven't got beyond episode one, I have to admit, but I, I, I'm, I'm on board this spaceship. Yeah. Cheesy. Okay, are you on board? Did it lose you? Did you love it? I really enjoyed the spaceship stuff, right? When it was when it was gravity, and less so when it became Event Horizon. Yes, in a nutshell, (laughs) right? And so um, I've I've read like the synopsis. I know that three episodes she'll be in space. So for three episodes, I might watch it, and then I'll probably phase out. But no, it's I really enjoyed everything on board, and I love her. I should say Jonathan Banks is in this. Mike Ehrmantraut himself, yes. who I actually ran into in a shoe shop in Santa Barbara many years ago. There you go. <laughs> Hot fact for you. Wow. Flash. wow. <laughs> Absolutely true. Ran into him in a shoe shop. He's quite maverick characters yeah. playing in this as well. He is. He yeah. is. Yeah. And there's a whole thing on a cruise with mm. a conspiracy theorist. Like There are so many little plot threads this, but the heart of this is Numi Rapace and her relationship with her daughter and then her dealing with it's almost like this weird gaslighting thing it's like is she going mad was she hallucinating lots of people no one believes what she's seen and the blurring of the lines between what is and isn't reality and then there's a sort of a sort of subplot about this experiment which is about quantum states and I, I you know I imagine that's that's not just an analogy like I, I feel like that is connected to this whole thing so there's yeah. there's a whole big physics thing going on um it's fascinating it's a fascinating show mm. 
I need to watch more to give it a proper verdict, though. Yeah, it's same, it's yeah. genuinely this is one of those shows where you do kind of need to watch a whole chunk of it because it doesn't, you know, it doesn't. You only see a very small piece of the puzzle early on, and I think I don't even know what the actual puzzle is. You know, is it a landscape? Is it a vase? Is it a goldfish? I don't know. I hope to find out. I think he's, he's starting to go off the edge as well. I might be. I'm yeah. just very he's, excited he's, about Dune. Speaking of which, yeah. I need to go to Dune. So we need to wrap yes. this bad boy up. Come on. Constellation, which comes to Apple TV Plus when, Boydie? Wednesday. Wednesday. <laughs> Exciting. What else is on? Avatar, The Last Airbender. Oh, yes. Heavily embargoed. Heavily embargoed. We're doing that on Pilot Plus. We're doing that on Pilot Plus. That's out on Thursday on the Netflix. There's a really good new comedy drama series called Borders on BBC Three from Tuesday, which is created by Daniel Lawrence Taylor of Time Wasters fame, which I really liked. It was on ITV2. And it's got a really bright young cast. It's about a group of black kids who are picked to go and, and, and study in a very posh boarding school. And it's a really good premise and it's funny and quite interesting and dealing with class issues and race issues and stuff like that. Uh, it's I think it's really good border. So that's Tuesday. BBC Three. Um, uh, that might be about it, yeah, actually. It's not a massive week for stuff, I think, unless I've forgotten something. Well, let's have a look. Let me let me bring up the old oh, you've got, calendar. Oh, the family Stallone's back for Stallone fans. Exciting. Season two of that on Paramount Plus from Thursday. Well, all five seasons of the original Orphan Black comes oh, yeah. to ITVX this week. If yeah. you haven't seen it, you might want to watch that ahead of the uh, spin-off show, which is out in America, but hasn't come to the UK yet. Uh, and that is probably about it. Okay, that's it for this week's Pilot TV podcast. Of course, it isn't really, as we've saved the best bit till last. But before we get onto that, please do head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave us a five Jodie Foster rating. And please do also follow us on the socials at Carabero, at Boyd Hilton, at James C. Dyer. Uh, on next week's show, I think, I think it's Shogun Week, Boydie. I think we're going to be oh, talking about Shogun. Yeah. So really, we should probably not do any other shows so that we can spend the correct amount of time now, discussing Shogun I wonder, in I wonder its original what, Japanese. James, what you thought of Shogun? I mean, who would never know? Because we won't find out until... Oh no, wait a minute. You've already told us what you fucking thought of it last week. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, no need to uh, tune in for next week's show then because you already know what's going to happen. But in case you do, uh, we will see you then. Find out what Kay and I think of Shogun. Oh, nobody cares. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> and also, are we not going to do our pick of the week? Oh, yeah, oh, what yeah. is our yeah. pick, pick of the week? Sorry, sorry. Yeah, What's your pick of the week, Kay? Breathtaking. What's your pick of the week, Boyd? Breathtaking. I really like the way as well. <laughs> Fine, I'm, I'm coming Constellation. <laughs> <laughs> I had consternation about Constellation, but I'm going to pick that one. Uh, fine, before we go, of course, it is time for our big finale discussion with Jodie Foster. Boydie and I, as you have heard, uh, went to see Jodie about two hours ago and she was an absolute delight. Now, this was recorded after we'd watched the final episode of HBO's True Detective, colon, Night Country, the final episode of which you can watch now on Sky Atlantic and... Well, now. Uh, and you really do need to see that before listening because there are spoilers ahead. If you've not watched the final episode, then do feel free to stop the show here and come back when you have. But if you're up to date, then this is Boyd talking to Jodie Foster with me sitting mutely in between them trying not to explode. Jodie Foster, welcome to the Pilot TV podcast. These are words I never thought I'd get to say, but okay. I've said them and you're here. Welcome. Yes, I am. <laughs> now, uh, I was at the screening last night mm -hmm. at BAFTA of mm -hmm. the season finale of True Detective mm -hmm. um, Night Country. And I was sat right behind you. Oh. And I don't want to be creepy or anything. But uh, <laughs> what was it like for you to be watching this huge finale to your show in front of a small select group audience of people and um and i saw a couple of times you whispered to Issa lopez the creator of the show i was thinking like she's saying you know it's good that we cut that scene now it's good that we read i don't know what how was how was it for you the whole experience you know what it was really an amazing moment um because we don't get to see these shows projected 
on a real screen with real sound in a beautiful room. And that was a beautiful room. Um, and I hadn't seen it all finished. So I hadn't seen the final music. I hadn't seen the final timing, which makes a big difference because it looks very different when it hasn't been color times. Um, all the little sound work that she'd done, all the details. Um, it was, I, I, you know, she made a feature. That's what's extraordinary is that that last sixth episode itself is a feature. And um, I was just, you know, I was just in it. <laughs> yeah, it's a very emotional episode. Um, also, you know, still has the creepiness, of course, and still has the excitement of of, of the denouement, finding out what happened. Um, but there's a kind of, I think, uh, emotional love that you finally discover between the two characters, This um, that their destinies are intertwined and that they are there to save each other. Um is is really quite beautiful. I was really felt moved. Yeah, the scenes between you, the two of you, are, are phenomenal. And they, they kind of feel like the real heart and soul of the show. And there are quite a few of them in that f final episode. Do you have a favorite scene between you and Navarro? Uh, you know, I like them all. I have to say, you know, there's a there's a, a I like them all. There's a, a, a scene where she's kind of trying to make sure that I live. I've just fallen in the ice and. Uh, uh, now she's got me around a campfire and she's kind of bringing me back to life. Um, and there's uh, a moment where Danvers kind of just breaks and finally says the things that we've been waiting to hear the whole show. Uh, I think that's quite beautiful, that one. Yeah, it's a fantastic scene, yeah. You describe Danvers as an ass asshole. Yes. Asshole, as we say in... <laughs> yeah, we say ass, you yeah. say arse. Yeah. Um, and you said, but of course we do in the finale get to see kind of why and why there's that anger in her. And, that, and as you say, that key scene where first she's really angry um, uh, because her son's name has been mentioned and she's furious about it. And then the second scene, there's a beautiful... Real life. Do you think, even though the show, there's always a dichotomy in the show between is this supernatural, is this, in quotes, real? But in that scene, I think we get to see that there's some comfort in the idea of ghosts and a spiritual world, if you like. Yeah, finally, um, you know, it, it investigates her fears, really. I mean, so much of her anger is out of fear. Um, the fear that if she allows herself to feel that she'll never be able to come back. You know, that once you say yes to that feeling that you will die miserably in the throes of the worst pain of your life. I mean, that's that's how people feel. So she's not wrong. Um, but I think both of them, interestingly, sort of have the same destiny about that. They 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 both come to understand that they can go there and come back. Did you find the whole idea of your character, who is this kind of very sweary, full-on, <laughs> yeah. you know, angry, often furious character, uh, just the whole idea of a great fun to play, though? Did you, when you read oh. the script, do you think this is going to be just a joy to play? Well, the cool thing is, is that it wasn't in the script originally. You oh, know, right. the original script um, that I read first, the first episode, I said yes to. I said, look, this is a magnificent script, but I'm not right for this. Um, it was written for somebody who's much, who's quite a bit younger than I was, and who had just lost her child and was fresh from that grief. So, you know, maybe a year before. Um, and I just felt like that wasn't right. I felt like it was detracting in some ways from uh, Kaylee's journey, who is the central voice of the film. Um, my partner, the partner in the film, uh, Evangeline Navarro. Um, it was really important for me to center that, that indigenous voice and to really acknowledge that the show in some ways was being seen through that journey. Um, and not just because out of representation, like we're going to have, you know, we're going to represent lots of indigenous people, but because it really at its core was an indigenous story. 
So did you talk to Issa Lopez, the creator, the writer, the director, yeah. about your about how you wanted to, the, your yeah. characters to be slightly yeah. different? Yeah. And some of it was about reverse engineering uh, Danvers. So saying like, okay, who do we need Navarro to be? And what do we need Navarro to do and accomplish and understand? And now how can we use Danvers in some ways to support her? And for me, that's so satisfying. You know, it was such a relief uh, to recognize like, you, look, it's not my time. It's someone else's time. I had my time. And it's time for me to participate by being part of a team and by really supporting other people. And I have to say, it's way more satisfying than it ever was in the past. I'm much happier as an actor now, kind of finally getting over that hump of, you know, not being the leading lady and being able to move into a new role uh, in terms of my acting. Yeah, it feels like you're really part of a gang in the show, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, and especially when you have something that's good, you yeah. know, to be part of a team is just amazing. You know, yeah. high-fiving everybody. And that wasn't true when I was younger. You know, it was a lot about, it was all about me. Yeah. It was all about my career and my path and my journey. And um, and that gets kind of lonely. You mentioned last night, and Issa mentioned as well before that, that there is the obvious influence of Science of the Lambs, yes. also Seven. You yes. talked about two of my all-time favorite films. They're both incredible pieces of work. And it does feel like this is, in your career, like as in a way, as exciting and thrilling and different a kind of genre piece as Science of the Lamb was. Did it feel that way to you? Yeah. And interestingly, you know, we were talking about that last night about, I mean, I just haven't, I remember reading that first book of Silence of the Lambs and saying, okay, I need to buy this book and I need to participate in it. And then reading the first script and it was perfect. And then as each person came on as part of the crew, um, I just felt like we did the best work of our life. And we, there we were linking arms and we won, you know, five Oscars in the top categories. And, um, it was just like this magical, yes, yes, yes. That just seemed easy. Um, and this is the first time that I've ever felt that again. And interestingly, they're in the same genre, you know, to have it be this horror paranormal genre, but that also is in a film that's as emotionally deep as this one. Like that, that's the key. I think that's the magical part. Yeah. It's like, imagine if you had six hours to, 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 to do a version of Science of the Lambs. It's like that. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. it's like a different feel, isn't it? And I noticed you, last night you referred to it as a film, as a movie. Yeah. It's, I can't, I don't know. It's just a long movie. I, I don't, it's hard for me to think about it as a series or something. It just seems like a long movie to me. Fair enough, absolutely. Yeah. I have to ask you about one of my favorite scenes in episode two when you suddenly um, go for Christopher Eccleston. Oh, yeah. Our heroic figure in yes, British, British yes. acting. Uh, that's another fascinating part of her character that she slept with quite a lot of people in, in the town. Yeah. But that scene is almost like an animalistic kind of scene. And yeah. it's fantastic. It's, it's, it's kind of funny hilarious. and hilarious. Yes. Totally funny. And um, we we laughed a lot, Chris Eccleston and myself. I love him. He's such a great guy. And uh, we definitely laughed our way through that one, you know, because as you know, when you do those kinds of scenes, you know, there's 40 people around and you, you've got like, you know, band-aids all over your private parts and um, you're trying to figure out how to, how to rotate yourself for camera. And, um, you know, you got to have some laughter. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a brilliant scene. Um, what had the corpsicle after that for me, the corpsicle is one of the most extraordinary thing, plot points yeah, yeah. In, in kind of recent TV history and certainly in this genre. What was it like when you read that in the script and then to actually see it manifest before you? Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, I absolutely understood what it was going to look like, you know, the second she described it um, in the script. Uh, and she always described it as the corpsicle. But interestingly, when we shot it, we never used that word. And suddenly in post, 
we realized that the word had never been used. And we were like, we got to get that word corpsicle in there. So we kept, we looped in, you know, we dubbed in uh, with post-synchronization, we looped in some pieces so that people would refer to it as the corpsicle. And um, this is cast is phenomenal. Um, I want to mention Fiona Shaw because Fiona Shaw's character, she's like the fixer who in, in traditionally in, in films and TV shows where there's fixers like a man or this guy, but she's a, a, a phenomenal figure. The only disappointment is you don't have any scenes with her. I know. It was so sad I had no <laughs> scenes with Fiona Shaw. Um, she plays this uh, kind of a survivalist who lives out in the middle of nowhere in Alaska and, you know, she kills wolves and uses the pelts and... Uh, she's a badass. I mean, she's amazing, all in camo. Um, and then you find out that she was a very fancy college professor. Um, that is true to that region that you will always find these people that all have these stories about how, where they started, because they all come from somewhere else. Many of them come from somewhere else and they come to the furthest place on earth to get away from who they used to be. And, um, with this kind of genre, where, where there's essential mystery or mysteries in this case, kind of inter interlinked mysteries, and it's, there's a kind of whodunit element, it's key to stick the landing, isn't it? When you read the script and the explanation of the corpuscle particularly, what did you make of it? Did you have any kind of like doubts about it, or did you think, no, that does work, that's going to work? Oh, yeah. I was so intriguing. I was, it was so intriguing. And um, yeah, I just couldn't wait to see how they were good. Who, who was the company that was going to make it? Because it was quite, you know, that was, that was quite something. Those, they really look like real people oh, in there. And what you would look like if you had frozen to death or you had, you know, had frostbite in all sorts of crazy parts. Um, and it was something to, to watch the progression of it, right? Because when we first see it on the ice, it's really mostly just the heads poking up. And then um, as it starts melting, and you can imagine it starts rotting. Um, you see more and more and more of what's happening and you see more and more of the horror. But you also get used to it because you've seen it in the background of the shot so many times. In the same way that you get you as a cop or as a police officer, you get used to the horror of what you see. And what did you make of the solution to the mystery of how, of how they ended up? Uh, well, I never saw it coming. Did I didn't you? see it coming when I was reading episode five. I never thought that that was going to be the denouement for episode six. And so I think she's very successful at that. I don't know if we're allowed to talk about what happens, oh, yeah, but we, we, yeah, we are. Okay. But um, <laughs> there was something, and I think there's something really beautiful and almost meta about the fact that the audience has never paid attention to those women. They were just... To them, they were just background figures that didn't matter very much. They were invisible ladies. And that that invisibility in some ways of these indigenous women, we call them the justice ladies, um, that invisibility was also like a cloak of power, that that is also there. It is their handicap in terms of white society, but it is their power in terms of the justice, Native American justice movement and, and the denouement of the show. And did you, and the final shot I have to ask you about was a beautiful final shot where you're at this kind of by the lake, kind of almost, and the two of you, um, Danvers, Danvers and um, Navarro, kind of standing away from each other. What did you, A, do you remember how that was described in the script? And, and what did you make of that as the final shot of the whole piece? Yeah, it was described in the, sh in the script, but it never was what I thought it was going to be. It was interesting until we got there. And um, I remember saying to Issa, I was like, Really? You're just going to shoot that thing from inside looking out? And we did do another shot from the other direction. And I remember uh, when I first saw the first cut, I was saying like, but don't you want to see from the other side? And she was very clear. She was like, no, I think there's something really beautiful about just seeing from behind and the, the way that they're separated in the doorway. And people will be asking that question 
um, you know, is it real or is it not real? Right. Yeah, and there's a lot of that, isn't there? The, the 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 whole that whole question of is this supernatural? Is there supernatural elements to this thing? Um, all the way through, did you when you were kind of reading? Oh, did you think? Did you, were you taken in by that as well? Did you think? Oh, maybe there is a supernatural element to this thing. Well, you know, because I'm me, and uh, I'm you know the, the Carl Sagan girl that I am. I mean, there's a part of me that says I absolutely buy the quote-unquote paranormal supernatural part, as long as you tell me that it's a science I don't understand. Um, so as far as I'm concerned, when you get older, it's you've had enough people die on you. You've had enough tragedy in your life. Uh, you've had enough connections to the dead to really believe, you know, when you see that orange rolling on the ground, that it reminds you of your mother. And it reminds you of the fruit that she liked the most or the things that she used to do with it. And that that in some ways is a sign or a calling or something that connects you to them. Whether that's science or the supernatural, I don't know. But um, so I, I probably err on the logical side. And you can. You can watch this show and say, you know, it's, it's a there's a logical explanation to all of this. But um, I don't think you can get to have be my age and not be touched in some ways by by, a, I guess, a wish for the connection with the beyond. And I feel there's a real respect for the spirituality of of Navarro, particularly. Yes, and of that place and of that people. You know, when we when Issa chose this Ennis, Alaska, the furthest place on Earth above the Arctic Circle, it's the long night, um, you know, in the north where the sun never rises, um, where 80% of the population are Inuit or Inupik, you know, so, so they are... Um, Native American with that tradition, with many generations of tragedy, um, many generations of genocide and settler violence, and you know, in this in this incredibly isolated place, I think it would be crazy to ignore that connection to the spirit world. Did you learn? Was did you know any about any of this stuff about how these the indigenous community lives, or was it new to you as well? Did you learn a lot from it's them? New to me too. Although I did, really did have an interest in it, um, but it's really new to me. So for me, uh, I think for most people in America, we don't really know much about the North, um, mostly because it's so inaccessible. Um, one of the reasons why we couldn't shoot in Alaska is they don't have roads where we needed to shoot, so we would have had to fly everything in by little planes, and sometimes they don't work in the weather. Um, it, it's, it's, it's very mysterious up there. And, uh, it's one of the places that, uh, you know, white domination didn't, didn't, didn't quite make the inroads that it did in the rest of the States because it's so forbidding up there that they abandoned it. Once they got the gold out, you know, once the, the colonizers got the gold out of the area, they had stripped it of gold and they didn't really have much use for it up there. And you, you filmed it in Iceland, of course, mostly, right? We filmed in Iceland, um, in Reykjavik, which I don't know if you know Reykjavik, but it's an awesome town. It's fun and lots of music and great food and these wonderful, um, you know, public pools where everybody goes with their kids and, you know, you jump in the freezing cold plunge and then you go back into the warm water. And um, so it was, it was a really happy place to be for seven months. And how did that film experience compare to all the, you know, the extraordinary body of work that you've done before? Is it, is it, I mean, as a fan and as a viewer, of, of these, it feels like it's up, right up there. Yeah, I think it's my, one of my favorite locations I've ever worked in. Um, and I didn't want to leave. You know, I had this great apartment and we all liked each other. And um, for example, different actors played music and they would like have concerts in the town. They'd take over a bar and, you know, John, John would be playing, John Hawks would be playing his guitar in one of the, one of the, 
the venues in town. Uh, it was just like a full, full family experience. Yeah, I could see from last night when you were with you know your your, your fellow people from the show, there was a, seemed to be a proper bond between you. Like, yeah, yeah. we really like each other, and uh, I guess that makes it all the sweeter. But and, you know, sometimes, as I said to Isa, I was like, it's it's all really easy, and the reason that it's easy is because it's good, um, and some of that is Isa, but some of that is just luck. And, um, I think the, the subject that, that she landed on, that there is a richness to that, that even she couldn't have anticipated. It takes a real, I, th- I think she's done a phenomenal job. And do, do you think it's harder on, in a way to do an intelligent, thought provoking, very horror deep, film, <laughs> horror film, right? Yeah. Genre piece. I mean, I think it's harder to do this than it is to do like a kind of, you know, all round. Much bit. harder, yeah. much harder. It's why you don't see them very often. You know, it's some, something that, and I really believe in that crossover experience in film that, that you can make a film that is a great piece of entertainment that's thrilling or it's fun or it's and have it also be re- relevant and deep and and help people change and that's what I'm always looking for you know I'm always looking for that combination of both because if you're not moved then what's the point? Go to the gym, do something else. <laughs> exactly. And Issa t- did talk about, she did, there are references to Science of the Lambs in the mm-hmm. quid pro quo moments. Yes. Um, how did you feel about them being made so explicit? Did you go along with you? Thought, oh, this is fun. You oh, know, yeah, yeah, it's totally fun. I love it. Um, you know, I love I love it in the world when, you know, occasionally I'll go to a restaurant and somebody will ask me if I want a nice Chianti <laughs> and some fava beans. I just love it. I think it's, um, it's, it's wonderful that the film that we loved so much, that we cared for, that we delicately made, um, has stood the test of time and has influenced people's lives and that they still remember it. And other um, references that we may not have noticed, do you think, in the... In the There's a lot of le- references um, that kind of pull back to season one of yeah. True Detective, right? Yeah. So, um, I, and I thought that homage was really out of love. I think that she, you know, loved the first series and wanted to uh, kind of have some winks and nods that that move back there. Um, and for the most part, I think people really love that. Yeah. Oh, and the interrogation scene at the end is a brilliant callback, I think, to to the first series. Yes. And, you know, when we did the interrogation scene at the end, I really, I was like, look, I have to play this as if Danvers is you know, being a good cop and really giving them the information and, you know, she's, she's participating. I, you know, I don't want to be like smoking with a ponytail like Matthew McConaughey. Um, that wouldn't be true to the character. So it is, it is a bit different than the, uh, than the ones that we remember from season one. And this is, I know this is the, the fourth season of the show and every season has been a different story with different characters, but we, um, I, I think I speak for the entire world when I say we'd love to see your character back. In I it. know. What do you think? Possible? No. no Sadly, you, it'll never you, happen. No, you never do that, do you? You never reprise a character that well, you Well, I'd love to, but the, yeah. this is an anthology and they're going to move on and do something else. Um, that's the way it works. I mean, yeah. I guess it's good if people <laughs> want more, but yeah, I would love to play Danvers again. I'd love to play Danvers again, you know, and, and Danvers and Fiona Shaw. Hanging out, oh getting God. in fights. That's the dream. I mean, that's a dream spinoff. Come right. on. That has to happen, surely. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm sure HBO would be more than willing. <laughs> they could break the, the, the rule of the series so far. Yeah. Um, Jodie, thank you so much. For thank you. Us. It's been fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. It's fun. That was the legendary Jodie Foster. Until next time, time is a flat circle. Pilot out. <laughs>